You're listening to a River Life Fellowship message. We hope this message encourages you and enriches your life. For more information about us, visit us at riverlifefellowship.com. Lord, we just want to bless you, Lord Jesus, right now, and just pray for your uh, presence, Lord, uh, to stay with us, Lord. We don't want to quench you in any way, Holy Spirit. And, um, so we just want to honor you. And, Lord, we ask you to speak to us, Lord. Just really ask you to really speak to us, Lord Jesus. Lord, you said yourself that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And that's what we're asking for, Lord, is words that proceed from your mouth, Lord. So, Lord, we ask you right now just to speak to our hearts and give us life, Lord. Lord, I ask you in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, if you want to look at that... What? There you go. <laughs> Let's just read that scripture. I put it up there for you. It's Luke four, eighteen and nineteen. Uh, of course, this is Jesus speaking. Uh, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovery of the sight of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Um, you know, this morning, really, what I really want to try to do is encourage you. Um, Lord, I'm not necessarily going to try to give you a teaching or anything, but an encouragement. Um, and it really is an encouragement. I believe that God has more, more for each of us. Just as it's really, a, I feel, you know, a calling from the Lord for more. That God has more for all of us, and He really wants to encourage us to, to step into all that He has for us. Now, that thing in verse 19, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, actually what that refers to, it refers to the Old Testament, what they call the year of Jubilee. And probably most of you know about the year of Jubilee. It occurred once every 50 years. Um, and then in, in during that year, if you were in debt, your debts were forgiven. If you were a slave, you were set free. Um, if you had sold property, um, that property was given back to you. I mean, it was just like the ultimate time uh, in, the, in, in, in the life of Israel. I mean, it was the ultimate time. You hear, you know, preachers always saying stuff about Jubilee. Um, even there's churches named Jubilee. Uh, but it really was just a, something that God did once every 50 years, one year out of 50 in, in Israel, until Jesus came. And what Jesus was saying was, He was saying, uh, this is the way my kingdom is supposed to operate all the time. It's supposed to be like a permanent jubilee. And so that was, that's really the gospel message, that it's a permanent time of blessing. It's not just a... a there are special times when God moves... But Jesus has something greater for us than just a special time, but He, he wants all, all time to be special for Christians. And that's really what His heart is. Um, there's a scripture here in Le Leviticus 25.10 uh, explaining about the 50th year. It says, You shall consecrate the, consecrate the 50th year and proclaim liberty 
throughout all the land to all its inhabitants. Proclaim liberty throughout all the land to all its inhabitants. And that was really what the heart of the Lord is, was and is for people. Is that He wants to set people free. He wants to give us liberty. Now that's, it's interesting, that verse is actually on the liberty bell. To proclaim liberty throughout all the land to all the land. Our, our liberty bell, you know that bell they have up there uh, in Philadelphia? has this a verse on it. Proclaim liberty throughout all the land to all its inhabitants. Um, it's interesting when you think about the, the roots of our nation. That's one of its roots. It's a, it's a spiritual root. And there was something that God had for this nation where He was saying, you know, they, there was a bell that was to be rung to proclaim liberty to people. That's, that's pretty tremendous. Now, I was uh, recently studying the Statue of Liberty after, after reading this about the Liberty Bell. Uh, and I ran across a poem that is actually on, on the base of the monument of the Statue of Liberty. And I want to read this poem to you. It's pretty interesting. And the name of the poem is called The New Colossus. And it's by a lady named Emma Lazarus. And she wrote this poem in the late 1800s. And it's pretty profound, really. It says, not like the brazen giant of, G of Greek fame. Now, she's talking about the Statue of Liberty itself. So she's saying, it's not like the, the brazen giant of Greek fame with conquering limbs astride from land to land. Here at our sea-washed sunset gate shall stand a mighty woman with a torch whose flame is the imprisoned lightning and her name, Mother of Exiles. From her beacon hand glows worldwide welcome. Her mild eyes command the airbridge har harbor that Twin Cities frame. Keep ancient lands your storied pomp, cries she with silent lips. Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses, yearning to breathe free, the, refuge, the wretched refuse of your teeming shores. Send these, the homeless, tempest-tossed to me. I lift my lamp beside the golden door. That's, that's pretty profound, isn't it? That that is the Statue of Liberty, which, you know, at least at one time in this nation's history, that was a symbol of this country. At least it was. But, you know, as we know, it's become more of a monument of the past, really. And just like that Liberty Bell is like a monument of the past. And, and I think... In the natural, what the United States of America was called to do. See, when I read this, I'm saying, naturally, the United States, but spiritually, the body of Christ. Spiritually, the church. We're, we're the ones, the church, the, one, the bride of Christ, the body, is the one that's standing beside the golden door, the ultimate golden door, not a country, but heaven, the kingdom of God. And we're the ones that have the light. We're the ones that should be beckoning to the world. You hear what I'm saying to you? That, that's really a prophetic picture of us, the Statue of Liberty. But we, have we become a monument? Has the church become a monument? You know, I mean, have we really become a monument of something that God did? That's a, that's a hard question to answer. Um, I remember, this is sort of a testimony. 
I remember, this was a long time ago, when I felt like the Lord first spoke to me about preaching. Okay? That's what He said to me. He said, if you open your mouth, I'll fill it. I thought, man, I wasn't necessarily a guy lusting to preach, to tell you the truth. Uh, but I knew that I had a calling on my life. And I don't know, you know how you think? You think crazy things. Uh, I had this calling. I felt like I was going to be in full-time ministry, but I never thought about preaching. <laughs> you know, I was like, why did I ever think of that? You know what I'm saying? I didn't put the two together for some reason. But when the Lord spoke to me that, that day, I can vividly remember, I can vividly remember the chair I was sitting in in the house and the whole setting, what was going on in my life at the time. When the Lord spoke to me, um, I knew God was, was calling me, you know, to really communicate, be, you know, to communicate His Word. That was really a calling. And when He said that to me, I agreed with, you know, okay, I'll do that, Lord. And of course, I didn't go right out and begin to preach um, because, to tell you the truth, I couldn't. <laughs> um, in fact, when I started trying to communicate, it was pretty bad, it was pretty boring, it was pretty crummy. You know, I remember we had this home group, and, you know, I can remember our very first meeting, I, I got a Derek Prince tape and put it in the cassette. <laughs> there was three of us sitting there, and I went to sleep halfway through the, <laughs> the teaching. Not that it wasn't a great teaching, it's just, you know... But, you know, we went on, and, and so I would spend massive amounts of time, you know, trying to come up with a message to speak, and I would, you know, share this message, and somebody in the room would just completely dismantle it. I mean, not, not being mean about it or anything like that. They would just flat say some stuff. It was like, I didn't think about that. You know, which would take all the work I did, and just basically just, it would just fall apart. I mean, it was like somebody pulled the string, and everything unraveled. I mean, that's the way it felt. I mean... You know, but there were times when I wouldn't do anything and God would give me three scriptures that would come to mind. I'd look at them and I would have an instant something to say that, you know, was really coming from the mouth of the Lord. And, and then there were other times as I went on when I did work hard at it and God really spoke, you know. But really what God was doing is helping me to learn how to dig this well that He put in me to discover this well that's, that's in everybody and, and dig it and, you know, develop it and, and, and pump the water out, get the waters out that's deep down in our spirit. That's really what he was doing. Um, but God... Um, and so I honestly gave him a lot of energy and effort into that over the years. And um, recently, I felt like the Lord started speaking to me about my calling again for, for the first time in a long time, actually. And, and basically what he was saying to me is, I got more for you. I got more for you. You know, I got, more, I got other things that I want to do in your life. And he reminded me of the Luke 4, 18 through 19. Because, you know, Becky and I have really, really asked the Lord, you know, about the ministry and about Christianity, about what we're supposed to be doing. And we keep coming back to this little thing of, what did Jesus do? I mean, really, how did, how did he operate in his life when he was on this earth? And that's sort of like, you know, maybe that's really what we need to do. It's maybe we just need to start, what, start doing what he did instead of all this other stuff that we have accumulated upon ourselves. Um, I believe that God has created every person for purposeful work. I believe that was his calling right from the beginning when he created Adam and created a garden 
and said, Adam, I want you to tend this garden. And I believe in, in the natural that He's created us to do purposeful things in the natural. Okay? In other words, if you're you know, a person who's mathematically inclined, you are going to be bored on a job. Bored stiff that's just repetitive over and over and over. That's just not who you are. It's not the way God created you. Now, if you're a person who's real systematic and, and likes to do things over and over and feels that's what you need to be doing. That's purposeful work for you. See, everybody has been called to do purposeful work in the natural. I really believe that with all my heart, you know, that we can find great pleasure in what God's given us to do on a natural level with our vocations, that type of thing. But also, I think God has created every person to do purposeful work spiritually. Okay? Every person has a calling to be purposeful spiritually, to do something purposeful with their life spiritually. Not just, you know, people who, like, quote, full-time ministry people. Those are not the only people that should be doing purposeful things. And most of them are not doing purposeful stuff sometimes. At least you feel like it. Let me uh, read this scripture. Jeremiah 22, verse... This is a very interesting scripture, okay? Now, this is the New King James Version. And I'm going to read you the verse, the first verse out of NIV and New American Standards to sort of get a handle on it. But this was the Lord speaking to one of the kings. And he said, Shall you reign because you enclose yourself in cedar? Okay, then it starts talking about this king's dad, who was the king before him. Did not your father eat and drink? Those are natural things. And do justice and righteousness. Then it was well with him. He judged the cause of the poor and needy. Then it was well. Was not, and this is profound, was not this knowing me, says the Lord. Was not this knowing me. Was not this knowing me. This man judged the cause of the poor and needy. Okay? He did justice and righteousness. And God said, in the Old Testament context, this was knowing me. That's what knowing me was. Okay? See, we don't think in those terms. Now, let me read, I don't have it up there, uh, what it says, the NIV, the first verse. Does it make you a king to have more and more cedar? You know? You know what cedar is? Cedar wood? Cedar's nice wood. Smells good. People had cedar chests back in the old days. There's older houses that have closets of cedar. They keep bugs out. Really nice. Make great fence posts, actually, cedar does, because it lasts so long. You can make fence posts, and it'll last forever. I mean, so it's not quite forever, but it does last a long time. Um, but does it make you a king to have more and more cedar? So in that day, cedar was a very valued thing, much more valued than it is now. Uh, New American Standard says, do you become a king because you are competing in cedar? Competing in cedar. In other words, that's where your world is. It's inside this. See, every Christian, this is what happens to us. We become, I like the way the New, New King James, actually I looked it up in the Hebrew to try to, under, you know, when you look up an inner leader in the Hebrew, it just like blow your mind because everything's so reversed. And, you know, you got to almost read backwards to really try to figure it out. So you have to really be a Hebrew expert to really explain stuff, which I am not at all. But I can tell you this, that's pretty close, I believe, to what the, what the Old Testament writers were trying to say. Uh, do you reign because you enclose yourself in cedar? I think what happens to us, everybody's got cedar. Everybody's got something in their life they, that closes them in. 
We get closed in on things. But, you know, that's the, the worst thing about the church, I think, is we've boxed ourselves in. It's like we've, we went down a, a, a path and it was a box canyon and somebody shut the door behind us and we settled there. You know, we're, we're, you know, but we all have on a personal level, we have things in our life that box us in. I, I, I see so many Christians that they will have something from God. They will have vision from God. They will have something in their heart that they see and they go to pursuing it and something happens that doesn't work out. They get hurt or they get disappointed and that's like their cedar. They shut the doors around them, around their lives. And they are boxed in. They're enclosed in. You know? Enclosed in. There's so many, and we have to ask ourselves, Lord, what is my cedar today? What's closing me in? What's closing me in? Uh, you know, you created us to do purposeful work. God has given all of us, all of us in this room have vision. Every one of you, you may not consider yourself to be visionary, but you have something you see that you want. And it can be natural, and that can be from the heart of God. It can be also from the heart of the devil, too, but you know, that's another subject. And it, but it also can be spiritual, and you know that is what God has for me. And here's the way it really works. God will show you something. It's real. It's a lie from God. So you, in your obedience to God... To want to obey God, this thing you see, this thing you believe in, and you head towards it. And as you head towards it, guess what happens? It is really like this. You make the step, and you feel like God doesn't make the step with you. Now, I don't know about you, but that's my experience in life, spiritually. Because I feel like God speaks to me to do something, and I go to do it. And then I'm thinking, where are you at, Lord? Because once I've done it, all the emotion, all the feelings, all the glamorous thoughts that I had over it are gone. And I'm sort of sitting there thinking, did I hear the Lord? Did I miss the Lord? Where are you, Lord? I've gotten argue, many arguments with the Lord over this very issue. Asking him the question, well, Lord, I was obeying you as best as I could. And that's all you are going to require out of any person is that they obey you. And I feel like you don't do your part. Has anybody ever felt like that about the Lord? Where are you in this deal, Lord? Why aren't you doing your deal? I mean, I've done what you told me to do. But I have found the way it really works is you, God asks you to do something. He puts something in your heart and you take the step. Okay, now I'm leaving a whole other arena out, you know, the Moses arena. He had the great calling. He went and killed the Egyptian. You know, his calling was 40 years down the road. You know? He was a little bit premature there in killing that guy that day. Let's leave that. That's a whole other teaching. Let's talk about when we are in God's timing. Let's talk about when we are doing what God's asked us to do. When we take the step, and God doesn't, it doesn't feel like God took the step with us for whatever reason, because you feel like a failure, because you feel like an idiot, because it didn't work, because everybody's mad at you, you know, all the heartache that it caused you. And so there you are. You know, you got this issue with the Lord. But here's the way it works. is God asks us to take a step. You've got to take the step. And then you have to wait. You've got to learn how to wait on the Lord. And if you'll wait on Him, if God said take the step, if you will wait on Him, He will come back and talk to you some more about it. And you will find out that He didn't leave you. See, we get anxious. We, we take the step. God's not in it. We start bailing or we get upset and we get displaced. In our relationship with the Lord, that's what happens to many Christians. Many of us, we, you know, we go into our cedar, cedar closet and live there 
enclosed in. What encloses you? What's, what's keeping you? You know, what's holding you back? Um, here's another thing about it. Is, this is awful too, really. <laughs> you can have vision from God where God's saying, this is what I want you to do. And, you know, you start headed that way, but you take a step, you go through the waiting process, you know, you go through this thing with God. Two or three steps down the road, some time down the road, what you're seeing today, it's like back there, it looked like this, but it looks different now. It's completely different, you think. But have you ever, most of you have been on airplanes and you know what a house looks like up there in the air. There's a big difference between that house and the air when you pull up in the driveway of that house. You know, it's like the closer you get to something, it changes. I mean, not really. It doesn't really change. It was the same all along. It's just that you're starting to see it closer and closer and closer. It's like a puzzle. You know, that's the way vision is. It's a puzzle. The problem is, is God has control of the pieces. He gives you a piece, you put it down, and you wait for the next piece. He gives you another piece. And, and you start thinking, well, this is... And you don't have a picture, really, a clear picture of what you think you know what it looks like. And as you begin to add these pieces, there's holes purposely left. Big gaps purposely left by God where it's not clear what it really is because He's requiring, always requires faith. The Bible says it's by faith and patience we you know, come into the promises of God. And that's, that's the way the deal works. Yet we find a church in America that had a vision, had a prophetic picture given to it like the America's got. And just like America, we have somewhere along the line, we've, we've stepped away from our calling. And, th- and you know what? That's really what's wrong with our nation is we stepped away from who God called us to be as a nation. And we're trying to be something else instead of, you know, guess who gave us the Statue of Liberty? It was France. You know, they don't even like us no more. <laughs> They're mad at us now. And you know what? In some ways, they should be mad at us because they paid for that Statue of Liberty and prophesied to our nation, this is who you are. And we agreed with them. Yeah, that's who we are. And we were that. But when we left that, we became something wrong. And I believe that most Christians get in trouble when we leave the thing that God said, this is who you are. This is what you are. And we leave it because, you know, let's make the list. What's your secret? What's the thing that causes you to leave the very thing that God has really spoken clearly to you? Is it that thing that you step out there? Where's God in this deal? You told me to do this. I've obeyed you, Lord. Now, where the heck are you? I don't like this. I've had many wrestling matches with the Lord over that. And that's where you can get off. Um, Let's see. Here's, here's the thing, okay? Here's a, just another little danger, just a sideline about sharing the thing. You, at some point, you have to talk to other people about what God's called you to do. This is what's going to happen to you. They will pick you clean. They will start asking you questions. What about this? What about that? What about this? And here's what you're going to do if you ain't wise, like I do all the time. You start trying to fill in those gaps that God hasn't given you. Because people are asking good questions. They're genuine questions. So here you are trying to explain why you feel like God's calling you to do what you're going to do and how this is going to work. And uh, you'll find yourself saying stuff that you don't even think you wouldn't even want to do. You know? 
this is a terrible example, but I remember when the Lord really first started speaking to me about some different things for our church. So I go to this leadership meeting and share it with them, and they start just, you know, what? You know, asking me all these questions. And so I'm sitting there defending my vision from the Lord. I'm going to win this argument. <laughs> That's what it was. I'm going to win. I'm going to tell you this. You're going to know this is God. I'll beat you with it. <laughs> I'll win this fight. Well, so they were asking me questions I couldn't answer, honestly. I had no answer for them. I was not supposed to have the answer because God had not given me the answer. But guess what I was doing? I was making up answers. <laughs> well, this is, you know, and when I realized later, like, man, I don't want to do what I said. <laughs> that ain't nothing what I wanted. You know, that ain't really what God's showing me. And one of the guys called me and said, how'd you like that meeting last night? He called me the next, how'd you like that meeting last night? I said, I didn't like it. <laughs> he said, I could tell. You were being defensive and you didn't have to be. Really, like, ooh, Lord, have mercy on me. I don't have to defend. I don't have to defend. Just give what I got. That's all I've got to do. Lord, if you don't, if you don't, yeah, if wisdom is justified by our children. If there's no children, Lord, it's not wisdom. Either you'll back this thing up, and yes, there is going to be a season of time I'm going to look like I'm wrong and I made a terrible mistake. And yes, there are going to be times where I was wrong and made terrible mistakes. <laughs> I know that. <laughs> yes, I was wrong. I missed the Lord. I'm sorry. <laughs> you know? But there's going to be times that I did have the Lord. And God had to work it out. And I want to encourage you that God has more for you than what you have currently. He has more for your life, both in the natural and in the spirit. <laughs> now, the question I ask, okay, Lord, how does this deal? I need you to practically help me do this. Okay? I need you to practically help me, Lord. And in the Bible, I didn't put all this up there. This is in the Bible. If you've got your Bible, I want you to just, and I'm not going to read all this. I'm just going to show it to you. You can read the whole thing yourself. But this is in, in Luke 9. Uh, Luke 9 um, through 11 are interesting chapters in the Bible. Because they're interested in this, is it starts out in Luke 9, verse 1, where Jesus sends the 12 disciples out to preach and heal, and, you know, preach the gospel and heal the sick. Sent them out. First time they went out. Okay, so that's really what happened there. So they go out, and he gives, you know, and what's so cool about these things is Jesus gives lots of practical instructions. He, don't just, he says, you know, go out and heal the sick, preach the gospel. He also talks to them about money and about, you know, rejection, all this stuff, cause, because he knew money was going to be an issue. You know, we got to eat. You know, and Jesus knew that. He knew these guys are going out. They can't fast the whole time. They can't go without water the whole time. They're going to need a place to stay, a place to sleep, and be taken care of. So he talks about it. He talks about that to the twelve. And in, and in Luke 10, he talked about that to the 70. So Jesus was real practical. He talked to them about when people reject you, they're not going for what you're doing. You're going to have to live. There's going to be times when people reject you. There's going to be times when things don't work the way you're supposed to work. So that's what's so interesting about these chapters. It's, it's like this is Jesus' way of helping people do what he's asking them to do. To go in. You go do this. You go preach the gospel. You go heal the sick. You go cast out demons. 
and he did it with the twelve. And once they came back, some things happened. Then he got there were seventy more people. You know, you can imagine one of those seventy guys. Wait a minute, now those guys, they may be the twelve, but you know, how about us, Lord? Are we going to get to do something, or is this going to be special twelve? No, you guys want to do it? Okay, you go. You go out and preach. You go out and heal. You go out, and he gives them a bunch of practical instructions about stuff, and they go do it. Okay, so that, that's Luke 9 and 10. Then, in Luke 11, okay, and, and there's a lot that happens here. Luke 11 comes up to this, it says, verse 1, It came to pass as he was praying in a certain place when he ceased that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. So he said to them, when you pray, say. Now, enter, what's the key, I believe, is this, is the way Jesus works is Jesus sent them out to do all this stuff, and then they're coming back, and somebody sees Jesus pray, and it was likely one of those guys who went out. And he, uh-oh, wait a minute. You know what? We needed, we needed what he's doing back when he sent us out. Why didn't, why didn't you tell us this before we left? You know? Why didn't you show us how to pray before we went out? I mean, if you, you would, the church today would really want somebody to be able to pray that they were going to do, go do ministry, right? We would teach them about prayer, right? Y'all with me on this? But Jesus didn't do it. He did it after they had already went out there and started doing it. So we have this big thing in the church, you know, where if you're going to do any kind of ministry, you have to go through, you know, I mean, you've got to go through years. <laughs> and, you know, then hopefully if you do everything right and everybody likes you, you're going to get to do some ministry. I mean, that's sort of the way it is, really, just being honest. But Jesus didn't do it that way. He sent them out there. Didn't even tell them how to pray. Now, I just go out and cast them demons out, and you'll find out you got some needs in your life when you start looking at demons, and they start coming after you, and you're going to find out that you have a need. And your biggest need is you're going to find out, when they saw Jesus, that's what we need. That's what we need to know how to talk to, to God. We need to have this prayer called the Lord's Prayer. Now, here's the crazy thing about the Lord's Prayer. Have you ever noticed how the Lord's Prayer is treated now, I'm telling you something practical about your vision. <laughs> Let me just go ahead and say it. It's about praying and communion with God and praying and communion with, with each other. Okay? If, if you really want to come in to go to, a, to what God has for you, you're going to have to be able to pray. Because I could, you know, i got a list of things I could tell you you should do. Just stuff I feel like I've learned. But when it all boils down to it, when it all boils down to me coming into what God has for me, going, you know, God has more for me, all I really know to do is pray. That's really all I know to do. I've got to get a hold of God and talk to God and hear God talk to me. You know what I'm saying? That's really what I have to If I can get do that, then I will find out what God has for my life. Now, I put that prayer up there. I know we wore that prayer down. Oh, my gosh, have we wore it down. And made it the most religious thing. I think it's one of the most religious things in the church is this Lord's, what we call the Lord's Prayer, which to me is the prayer of desperate people. It is not some religious thing. There. Oh, my gosh, this is ridiculous. You get out there and sing that prayer. I've heard it sung. And, you know, it's just not, it wasn't just a style thing. 
But it just was like, gosh, is that all that is left of this prayer is some religious recitation of it in some ceremony? Is that what we've reduced it to? You know, oh gosh, I mean, our Father, we're all in heaven. <laughs> just some crummy, unreal thing. You heard it. I can imagine some big old guy sitting at a big table of food everywhere praying that prayer, you know. But there was nothing real in his heart about it. Nothing. He wasn't desperate for God. He wasn't desperate knowing that God, there's demons out there! And they're mean! And I need you to deliver me from them demons. Because they're going to kill me if you don't do something. I'm out here doing what you've asked me to do, and i got these demons hammering on me constantly. Help me, Lord! Deliver me, Lord! That's a desperate man. And when you really start entering into what God has, well, you'll get desperate because there's demons. And they're real. And you'll get desperate about your finances. Because God will be coming out, oh, yeah, I want your money. You know, He'll be, you know, make you do stuff that's not profitable financially. And you'll get desperate. Lord. I mean, thank God He doesn't do everybody like that. Somebody's got to have some money around here, right? You know, but it gets them in another area. You know what I'm saying? Why in the world does the church... In the persecuted, the persecuted prosper, persecuted church. They don't have it. They're worried about, you know, these, I have read stories recently of people in Vietnam had one page of the Bible. It's all they had. It was the most precious thing to them in the world. And I bet you, if we took account this morning of people who read the Bible regularly, we would be ashamed of ourselves that many people in this room don't read the Bible. And that's, I'm not, that's not, a, not a put down. I'm just saying, you see, they're desperate. They need God. They need Him. Desperately. Lord, we don't have the Bible. I don't have 13 copies of the Bible. You know, the church, you know, we collect Bibles that people leave here. Never get, you know. Some people ask, have you seen my Bible? But I've got piles of Bible that people have left. Never had one in the back. I thought, what? They don't want their Bible? I've looked at Who's this person? I need to know about this person. Because they're not reading the Bible because I have their Bible. <laughs> and you know, I wait around. If it's a nice Bible, I'll just take it and erase their name out of it. I got bunches of Bibles that I've taken from people that they don't even know I took. You know. But if you're looking for your Bible, I did not take your Bible. I don't take everybody's Bible. Not, yeah, if it's nice. Leather, genuine leather, you know, not beat up. <laughs> but these guys, I mean, they needed God. And you can tell a person who's going after what God has for them is they find themselves in need of God. And that's what Jesus, he was praying to disciples, man. He wasn't just praying to some, some lukewarm person who didn't feel the need, who didn't feel the pressure, who didn't feel like, man, I need you know, day by day, my daily needs are met, Lord. Day by day, every day I need it. You know, we may not feel that. I'm not trying to make us be something we're not as far as like, you know, we live in a, a wealthy world and we have food to eat. That's a blessing. I mean, thank God for it. Okay? That may not be our thing that we've got to deal with, but I'm going to tell you what. I don't care how wealthy we are. There are real demons out there and there's real temptation out there. 
And we need desperate God to deliver us from the devil. And we need desperate to be led not into the temptations that are all around us all the time waiting to get us. Just snares set forth. We desperately need Him to. And we need, desperately need to see that. And, uh, you know, we need to be forgiving people all the time. I mean, these are, uh, you know, okay, I wanted to just say this. It says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I'll get back to that in a second. Give, this is a key word, give us day by day our, us, our. And forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And then, you know, for yours is the kingdom and power and glory forever. So you see, and this is something I want you to see. That Lord's Prayer is not necessarily, although it can be, but it was given as a corporate prayer. You know, our Father, you know, our Father, uh, you know, I mean, if, you, if there's two, are they two brothers or two sisters in here? Raise your hand. Addison, you guys, y'all got the same daddy, more than likely. I mean, sometimes you can have a different daddy, I guess, but, you know, but same mom, you have the same daddy, so to speak. Let's assume, Addison, I know you and... Nathan, he left, but anyway, y'all have the same daddy. It's not just my daddy, it's our daddy. You know, God really has, not only are we desperate for God, Jesus was saying y'all are desperate for each other. Y'all are desperate for each other. Because y'all, being us, as he says in there, see, we need to see that. We need to see it. And I'll tell you, there will come a day when we'll see it. When we will see the value in the body of Christ being a something more than just a person. You see, you can't shut yourself in, in your little closet. You can't do it. You shut yourself in your little seated closet, you're making a huge mistake. You know? It is, a, you know, that's the way Jesus presented it. We've got to see it that way. Um, so, the other thing is about God's will and God's kingdom. Um, if you're doing what God's called you to do, this is the truth. I mean, you are going to be desperate for it to work. That's what you're going to find out. It's not like it just automatically works. You're going to be desperate for it. Lord, I, this thing ain't going to work if you don't do your part. If you don't show up, if, if you are not in this, this we desperately need you. We, de we need your kingdom to come, your rule, your power, your anointing. And we need to be desperate for those things. So, heck, if all you're doing is something you can do, you're not really doing what God's called you to do. I'm talking about spiritual now. And sometimes on, are you with me on this? I'm telling you how to find out if you are going to something greater. Are you desperate? Are you desperate for God? Are you desperately in need of God's help in your life? God, I need you. Oh, man, I need you, Lord. This thing is falling down around me, Lord. Where are you? Please help. Lord, please bring your power and your kingdom to bear on this. We need you, Lord. God has designed us like that. That's the way he meant for us to live our Christian life. And what we've got to do is we have to get re-envisioned in our life. Old men, you know, will dream dreams. Young men will see vision. That's a sign of God being present. As people have dreams and people have vision for their life that they didn't have before. 
And I think there's people in this room, you've quit dreaming, you quit having vision, and you just, and you, it's not going to be good for you. You'll be like you, the United States of America. Our vision for liberty, our vision, bring the poor, bring the huddled masses, bring them here. That's who we want. We don't forget you're proud and you're rich. We don't want them. We want the suffering. That's who we want to be. We want to be a people made up of people who are desperate to be free. And heck, man, we've just left all that as a country. And I know this. I believe, you know, God will, out of the ashes of our whatever happens in our nation, that God will raise up, raise us back up. But God's calling us to something more. God's calling you to something more. You can't stay where you've been. You can't stay there. Staying there is sure death for you. You've got to go on. God's calling you something greater. He has a greater purpose for you. And I just want to encourage you today. You know, it's going to be challenging. It's going to be exciting. But that's where you're going to find, find that sweet fellowship with Him as you go on. Now, you've got to let your hurts go. You've got to let your disappointments go. You've got to let all, whatever it is. Oh, Lord, I thought you wanted me to do this. Look what happened. Yeah, it happened. <laughs> but don't let that stop you. you Got to get up and go on. Amen. So we'll just um, end there. Maybe what we could do is—I never know how to do this, but I so enjoyed the Lord this morning while we were worshiping that maybe we could just end and worship Andy. And it. You know, I want to I want to pray for people. I don't really know how to do it, but there was a few years ago there was a song back in the Toronto Blessing days. Lord, light the fire again. Remember that song? It was a great song. I love that song. It's like people's fires fire had went out in their life, and you know, for for God, what God had for them. So I just want to pray for you this morning that the Lord would light that fire in you again for His purposes, His vision for your life. It would be just rekindled in you. Just, you know, there would be fire that would come back into you again. Anybody thought they need that this morning? Maybe y'all all way ahead of me. Y'all, I got this one.